Well, good morning. If we have not met, my name is David Cumby, and I am the new rector at Holy Cross. And uh, on behalf of Langley, my wife, and our three kids, Mary Camden, David, and Bennett, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for the incredible warm welcome. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for this process. Thank you for praying over this church. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, but we are so, so very grateful to be here this morning. We'll have time to get to know each other over the coming uh, days and months and years and decades, God willing. Um, and so I, I look forward to that. I did want to just take a few moments this morning before we turn to God's word and just express my deep, deep gratitude to um, the search committee and to the vestry and our clergy and our amazing staff team, uh, all of those who worked so hard to seek the Lord's will and to lead this church in this interim period. And I especially want to recognize and give thanks uh, to Paul and Becky for their ministry here at Holy Cross. So, I've been told that Paul has been thanked about 10 times and recognized about that many, and it's not enough. It's still not enough. Um, so very grateful uh, and just want to continue uh, the work that uh, God has begun here at Holy Cross so many years ago um, to minister together, to seek to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Um, as I begin my ministry among you, the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, came to mind. This is what the Apostle wrote. He said, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This holy cross is my commitment to you. And with God's help, I aim to keep it. And so this morning, we begin a new journey together, a new season of life and ministry together. And as we do, I think it's incredibly appropriate in God's providence and his timing that we begin with Advent, uh, the beginning of a new liturgical year, a new time of seeking the Lord and following him together. And so as we begin on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to just briefly ask the question, what is Advent? Uh, I don't want to assume that any of you are familiar with Advent. I know growing up, it was not a part of the tradition that I grew up in. And so Advent has been a late discovery in my walk with Jesus, one for which I am very grateful. And so just a, a little bit about Advent. Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And so for over 1,500 years, the church has seen Advent as a unique and powerful time in the calendar to connect with our deepest longing for Jesus and for his return. And so it's often referred to as the second coming. At Christmas, we celebrate the first coming, the celebration of his birth, and then we look forward to his return, his second 
coming, when King Jesus will come in glory to judge the world, to redeem all things and usher in God's eternal shalom, a new heavens and a new earth. It's interesting, uh, until more recently, Christmas really wasn't observed until Christmas Day. The church would have gathered typically on Christmas Eve and at midnight would have ushered in with a bang, uh, Christmas. And so the experience that we have where Christmas emerges the day after Halloween from Amazon emails and uh, the countertops of Walmart <clears throat> uh, is relatively new. And so not celebrating Christmas until Christmas, uh, while in theory, I think for most of us sounds great, maybe we can understand that, uh, it also feels at, at great dissonance with our experience. And I will be honest, we have a Christmas tree. I confess, it is up in our living room, it is fully decorated, and we have poinsettias. So I am no Scrooge, I love Christmas. At the same time, I do think Advent provides a unique opportunity for us to live in this dissonance, uh, this dissonance between Advent and Christmas. In particular, because Advent helps draw our distracted hearts back to Jesus and reminds us that this world is not ultimately our home. Advent offers real hope that one day we will be with Jesus forever. Advent reminds us that one day there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more death. Advent reminds us who we are, that we are a people who celebrate the birth of Christ and we long for his return. I love Advent because it reminds us that we live in this in-between time. It locates us between the advents of Jesus, his first coming and his second coming. We might think of his comings as, uh, as life between two mountain peaks. On one mountain peak stands the cross, the sign of his grace and of our salvation. And as we look forward, we see the new Jerusalem. We see the king sitting on his throne and we rejoice in the new world that he will create. And so we live in this in-between time. And the question this morning I want us to consider is how do we do that? How do we live in this in-between time waiting and watching for Jesus' return? And to answer that question, I want us to look to Jesus and to his words, the words we just heard from Mark chapter 13. In particular, I want us to focus on the end of the chapter, verses 32 through 37. So uh, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up. To Mark chapter 13, you can turn in your bulletin to those words. I want you to be able to follow along as we work through Jesus' teaching here because I think it gives us a window into how we live as we wait and watch between the Advents. Now, as you're turning there, to give us some context, context is king. We want to understand where we are and what the Lord is teaching us. And so Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem for Passover. His followers are eager for Jesus to take his rightful place as their Messiah and their king. And he will do that, but not in the way they expect. His enthronement will be on a cross. He will die in place of sinful humanity and rise from the dead to usher in new life in his kingdom. But one day he will return. He will return as our great judge and king, and he will set all things right. But until then, he teaches his disciples then and now. He says the world, and particularly the church, 
will experience hardship, suffering, and persecution. And that reality is brought into vivid imagery here in chapter 13. The verses leading up to what we will look at together, Jesus talks about many signs of the end of the age, and in particular, the destruction. He prophesies the destruction of the temple, which took place in 70 AD. And so in the wake of what Jesus is telling them, the disciples are confused. They are overwhelmed. They ask back in verse 4, how is all of this going to happen, Jesus? And so he gives them, ultimately, this parable. He gives them two parables, a fig tree, and then he gives them this parable that we're going to look at here at the end of chapter 13. And so to introduce the parable, this is what he says in verse 32. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, he says, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, the, the day or the hour that Jesus is speaking of here is his second coming. And it, it's, it, it's something that may surprise us to hear Jesus say, okay, well, I understand the angels may not know, but Jesus himself, the Son, will not know the time of the second coming. And so we scratch our heads and we cock our heads and we say, I don't understand. That seems peculiar. And I want to say that um, while I do believe uh, this helps us understand who Christ is, both his divine and human nature and the self-imposed limits of his human nature, I don't think that ultimately is the point of what Jesus is saying here. The point of what Jesus is saying here is that it is God the Father alone who knows the time. It is God the Father alone who knows the time. No one knows except the Father, Jesus says. Not even me. And so, because of that, everyone, everyone must keep guard, must keep awake, Jesus says. Now, I want to pause here because I do think this touches on something that is important for us to realize as the church. Throughout history, people have obsessed, and I mean obsessed, about the timing and the return of Jesus. It's surprising in some ways, but not in others. We are a curious people, and we want to know what we want to know. And so there are countless sermons and books and podcasts by people claiming to know when Jesus will return. Let me tell you, they don't. Don't buy those books. Amen. Amen. Thank you. They don't. And you know how I know they don't? Jesus said they don't. Earlier in chapter 13, Jesus says, watch out, in fact, for those very kinds of people. He says, at best, well, maybe I say this, at best they're misguided. I think Jesus has stronger words, words along the lines of false teaching and false prophecy. These kinds of um, rabbit trails are meant to distract us from Jesus and his gospel. Don't let them. So the question then is if we're not meant to be occupied, preoccupied, I would say, with predicting Jesus' return, what should we be focused on as we watch and wait for Jesus' return? And Jesus answers that question here in a beautiful parallel. He says, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Now, we're going to come back to the stay awake 
command because Jesus gives it repeatedly. But notice here that there is first a home and then there is a man or the master, some translations have, of the home. Church, we are that home. And Jesus is our master. Now, that may sound straightforward enough, but with the busyness of my life, and maybe you can relate to this, uh, I can lose sight of that. There is a master over my life. There is a God on the throne. And guess who is not him? Me. And neither are you. And there's a great joy in that. And there's great peace that comes from knowing he is the master. And this is his home. We are his church. We are his family. And it's incredibly important, I think, especially as we wait for Jesus to return. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, it means we don't wait alone. We don't wait alone. It is incredibly difficult to wait by yourself. Alone, we can begin to entertain all kinds of doubts. We can struggle with hopelessness. But the truth is that we don't wait alone. We have one another. We are the church, the people of God, living in the home of God. And so we know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, that he loves us, and he is never going to forget us. And that brings us to the second reason I think this is so important, that we have a a master and a home It's because we can live with confidence that there is a Lord and Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Church, you are precious. You are precious to the Lord Jesus. He gave his life for you and for me. And so we do not lose hope. He is the Lord of history, beginning, middle, and end. And he will come again. And so when the days are dark and life is hard, remember that Christ has died. Christ is is risen and Christ will come again amen amen and because he will come again this is what he says in verse 35 he says therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning the four watches of the night lest he comes suddenly and finds you asleep and what I say to you I say to all Stay awake. Jesus commands us to stay awake. Now, when I read that, my question was, what does it mean to stay awake? What is Jesus asking us to do? Well, I think it certainly means for us to be alert, to to remain vigilant, persevere in our faith. But I think it means something more. I thought of the words of a pastor that I've come to really appreciate, a man named John Mark Comer, who was influenced heavily by the teachings of Dallas Willard. And he once said this, he said, sometimes we forget that the greatest thing about following Jesus is Jesus. The greatest thing about following Jesus is actually Jesus. We can get distracted with so many other things but here's the thing is that when we have a life-changing encounter with the Jesus who rose from the dead and reigns on high it changes everything it changes us it changes who we are and how we live and while we know that he is always with us we know that one day we'll experience his presence fully 
We will be with him and it will be the most real, intimate relationship that we have ever known. And so one mark of a life that has been deeply transformed by the love of Christ is an abiding longing for Christ. To stay awake is, in some sense, to stay in touch with that deep longing within us. It is to keep our hearts on fire with the love of Christ, with this love of Jesus that says, I long to see you, Jesus. I can't wait for you to come back. Fleming Rutledge once said this. She said, the church that keeps Advent is the church that is most truly herself. I think what she's getting at is this church that longs for Jesus in this way can actually live out her calling most faithfully. Followers of Jesus who deeply long for our future with Christ can live most faithfully with Christ in the present. So many things compete for the longings of our hearts, but there is one thing, one thing only that can satisfy our deepest longings, and that is Jesus himself. And so my encouragement, my hope for us in this Advent season is that we would pray boldly that we would ask the Holy Spirit to awaken in us this fire, this longing for Jesus to return, that we as sinners who know the grace of God would rejoice together in knowing that we are his children and one day he will come back for us and take us with him into this new heavens and new earth. And so Holy Spirit, this is our prayer, that you would fan the flames of our hearts to Jesus, that we would long together, that we would long deeply, that we would long for Jesus. Rejoice, rejoice, for Emmanuel shall come. Amen.